Hello and welcome to episode one of the 007 Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my Countdown co-hosts, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today we begin a new Countdown series as we will be watching 10 films in the James Bond franchise in anticipation of the 25th entry of the series, No Time to Die, set to release this October. For our first episode, we'll be reviewing the second film in the series and the one which established the Bond formula, 1963's From Russia With Love. But first, Scott, Jay, how are you? Hey, Scott, and hey, Scott. Uh, I'm good. It's, it's good to be back uh, doing another countdown. You know, I always very much enjoy these and appreciate being on. And yeah, excited to get started. And I think this is one of the, the rare countdowns where, you know, we did, I mean, we had the Star Wars one first, right, where Jay hadn't watched any movies. I think this is another one where he hasn't seen any of the 007 movies. Wait, wait, just wow. I was going to ask that, that yeah. later. Yeah. I know. No, I have, I guess I'll just say this now. My experience with Bond is, you know, that scene in Catch Me Where You uh, Catch Me If You Can when Leo DiCaprio is watching Bond on TV and then tries to like mimic him in the mirror later. That's that's the sum total of my experience with Bond movies. Hey, maybe maybe it's not too late for Leo to be the next Bond. Who knows? But uh, probably is, unfortunately. Yeah. But I, I guess to answer your original question, Scott, I'm doing pretty well. Excited to be, you know, back at it doing the countdown series again. I, I feel like we've had plenty going on over the last couple months since our, our last countdown ended catching up on 2020 movies and thinking about, you know, whether or not we're having aneurysms about award shows. But I I, I think part of it, it's going to be really weird to listen to this probably after just talking about like award shows and catch ups, because I'm pretty sure this is at the time of recording this. <laughs> We're probably not releasing this episode for like at least six, seven months. So it's a little bit of a delayed release, but it'll become clear probably down the road why uh, why we're doing it the way that we're doing it. But yeah. Yeah. By the time people hear this, Jared Leto will have already swept award season for his performance in The Little Thing. So uh, it's going to just be a, a whole new world uh, when people are listening to this. But uh yeah, you know, Scott, I think it's interesting that uh, this is the first countdown series really that we've done where... Like, so Star Wars, I think both myself and Scott are pretty passionate about Star Wars. Nolan, obviously, Scott, you and and Jay um, were big on on Nolan. And I mean, obviously, I love a lot of the films, too. Fincher was kind of my, uh, you know, one that I wanted to do. This is just kind of one that I think we're going to have our feelings are going to be all over the board. I think as the movies go on, none of us, I think, really came into this like gung ho, like, hey, you know, we're huge Bond fans. Uh, but also Bond I'm not fan but yeah well, yeah not as literate on the older ones right uh and you know i've actually seen almost all of the bond films um back in the day uh but yeah. i barely remember anything about many of them to be quite honest with you um uh, so this is going to be almost like i'm watching a lot of these for the first time um even though like i, I have seen this movie before. i have seen from russia with love before but um you know couldn't have told you two things about it except you know that Robert Shaw was in it. I th- I think I vaguely remember that they were on the Orient Express at one point. But um, but yeah. Um, so as mentioned, uh, we are beginning our countdown with 1963's From Russia with Love, directed by Terrence Young. Uh, From Russia with Love finds Bond the target of criminal organization Spectre and their specially trained Irish assassin Red Grant, played by Robert Shaw. Spectre's plan is to use beautiful consulate clerk Tatiana Romanova, played by Daniela Bianchi, to trap Bond with a convoluted story about procuring a Soviet cryptography device from a Turkish embassy. Although he suspects the trap, Bond, played by Sean Connery, goes along with Tatiana, and the two end up embroiled in a globe-trotting adventure hunted both by Grant and severe Russian colonel Rosa Kleb, played by Lottie Lenya. Jay... I was going to start with you about your history with Bond, but since we uh, have already established that, let's go to Scott. Uh, Scott, I'd love to hear more about uh, your history with the Bond films. How many of them have you seen? Sort of what's your overall feeling? You said there, you know, you're like the Craig ones, but in general, um, you know, what what are you bringing into the series? Yeah, my my Bond baggage before Craig is pretty low. I'd say that I've seen, I think, pretty much all of the Craig Bond movies. I think a couple times, if not more in, in some in some cases. But the ones further back, uh, I think like I've maybe seen one or two here and there or like parts of one, things like that. 
um because honestly haven't really been that interested to go further back in in the grand scheme of the bond universe i think a lot of what i found really maybe this is getting like too too into the weeds too early but like a lot of what i like really loved about you know the more recent bond movies is daniel craig and just the snippets that i'd seen here and there um from bond movies of the past you know and some from the 90s maybe some more from this generation that we're talking about today just hasn't been as it's never really caught my eye like uh, whether it's the style, not that these don't, movies don't have style, just like the particular style of these movies or aesthetic or budget, even you might want to call it, um, didn't really like grab my eye the same way that, you know, the I guess, what is it, four or five uh, Craig Bond movies, I guess four Craig Bond movies so far, the fifth one coming up. So yeah, I'd never really dipped my toe too much in the water. I had seen Dr. No and before, and I had, which is the first Bond movie uh, for those who don't know. And then from I've definitely seen like the back half of From Russia with Love before, because um, all that I associate with From Russia with Love is is them being on the Orient Express, actually, uh, which is ironic, <laughs> given your past experience. But beyond that, like, I think I've seen some of like a couple of the Brosnan Bond movies, but nothing. Uh, I wouldn't say nothing from start to finish in that department and never been particularly interested. But with this opportunity, I'm excited to kind of go back and see if my uh, I don't know my lack of desire to watch the older bond movies was valid or if I'd been, you know, teasing myself a little bit and robbing myself of not seeing the legacy of, you know, an action, I don't know, an action superstar like bond is these days. Um, and that I really enjoy in the Craig versions, um, like where those roots were. But as you, as you can tell, we're really just chomping at the bit with this series. We're just, you know, so pumped to get into this. But I'm really excited uh, to get Casino Royale, and I, I won't joke. Yeah, like seven weeks from now or something. But anyway, no, it's like um, it's five weeks from now. OK, sure. Math. Um, Jay, uh, let's go to you now and let's talk more about this movie specifically from Russia with Love um it's your first bond movie uh what are your high level thoughts on this movie which is credited like i said for establishing the quote-unquote bond formula which we'll talk more about it was fine um and then I'm, I'm actually very lukewarm um on this movie i think if you were to divide it into two parts i i can give you a and i, and I will you know I, I can give you a slightly more passionate answer and that the first half you know i, I just found kind of like boring and slow the first quarter even really i didn't exactly know what was going on and I, I i did wonder if part of that was because i didn't have the context from the first movie about why this organization hates bond or if it's just because you know 90 percent of the time people not named bond are speaking in a way that is hard to understand um but that being said you know they get to the second half of the movie starting with you know the train scene and it starts to pick up a little bit and you know gets more exciting and you know it yeah like the back half of the movie was definitely like more I don't know if you just if you just show me the second half of the movie, I would might have been like, oh, it's actually pretty cool. Like you know, I, I kind of get why this like popped, but the, the first half really just lost. Like it almost lost me. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll get more into the character shortly, but that that's kind of where I landed. Was you know, it was by the end, it was fine, but that first half was a bit of a slog. Yeah, I I feel pretty similarly to Jay in this respect. I think that. Uh... Maybe I've seen all of From Russia with Love before. I don't know. And then my whole joke about only remembering the back half of the murder of the Orient, or I just said murder on the Orient Express. That's hilarious. Uh, the Orient Express is the part that I remember because, frankly, I mean that's the best part of the movie. And what Jay's talking about in terms of the first half, like, yeah, man. I mean, like, could have could have done without it. Uh, it was pretty pretty slow, pretty boring. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with like a especially a spy type movie being a little slow. And I think that. I'll be interested to see how that changes over the course of the film and, and how on re on the most recent rewatches I'll be doing in those later Craig ones. Cause like those movies can be slow too, but I think that there's a lot of interesting parts of, of those films in terms of like lore or uh, world building, however you might do it. I just don't think that, that this one does that, that particularly well. I mean, one of the things that I, if you've listened to main versions of the podcast, when we talked about John wick, uh, I think what 2019 is like that, that does a great job building lore around its world you know, outside of the, you know, sort of like bombastic action sequences that you'd expect in a movie like that. And so there's ways to do that and be really effective. I just don't think that From Russia With Love is able to do that in a way that is really, you know, attention grabbing in the first, you know, what is it, 45 minutes to an hour of its of its runtime. 
um, which definitely does make it difficult to watch. I mean, I was watching this with my girlfriend. She stopped watching it. Like she just eventually just like 30 minutes in just started like, you know, on her going on her computer on her phone and, you know, just completely gave up on watching the movie, which, you know, fair enough. I think that honestly, that's not totally unjustified if you have other things that you're interested in, in doing with your time and and off you go. But it does pick up in the second half. I think that it does, especially after the scene where they like spend the night at the gypsy camp. I, I think it, I think it does pick up after that when things start really getting into motion overall with, with the whole thing. I got um, I got into I got into it a little bit more, to say the least. And I think that the pacing got a lot better. Not that everything was, you know, fast action pace from there on out. But again, the elements where or I should say like the downtimes of the film, they, they just, you know, were more engaging, I think, than than they were in the in the first half. And yeah, I, I was surprised at, at how bored and frankly, like not not well made <laughs> the, the first half was. I mean, so some of the some of the editing in the first half of the movie, which I know, you know, movie making technology and filmmaking techniques were different. 60 years ago. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, be a snob and say like elitist in terms of like how film, how well things can be edited, et cetera, today. But like some of the dubbing that's taking place or like voice, like the, I forget what it's like the technical term is like horrible, like absolutely horrible. Like doesn't even look like at all. Like the people are talking whose mouths you're seeing move on the screen, just like astounding and pretty distracting. ADRing, I think. Is yeah. That ADRing. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that is what it's called. The, the ADR in this was horrid. Um, especially in a, a few scenes in particular, which I don't know if we need to specifically call them out, but I, I could if we wanted to. Uh, it was just super distracting. Um, but overall, second half much better than the first half, and uh, yeah, I, I guess that's the that's the high level picture for me. Um, yeah, no, I I feel pretty similarly to you guys as well. I think that um, yeah, I, I I will say that I think like the first twenty minutes or so. I, ironically kind of before bond even enters the movie i thought those were decent like i like the first sort of the queen's fights. gambit prequel of it all yeah, well yeah there was that there was like the you know the begin at the very beginning sort of the training exercise that's kind of going on with robert sure. shaw's character uh, and then when we get introduced to rosa Klebb, who i think what could actually be a really fun villain this movie just doesn't make good use of her at all um you know, there's a whole, there's the whole scene where she's like, there's like a tracking shot of her like walking through the facility, and there's all these crazy like tr different training exercises going on. It's just like I thought that was kind of a fun shot, but then yeah, and, and like this is kind of why Bond has failed to be one of my favorite franchise. Again, like I said, I, even though I've seen a lot of almost all of the movies, I don't remember that much about them. I don't come back to them that much. So I think I do think a lot of the movies are have their boring stretches and, and this movie does have its boring stretches. And part of the problem is the plots just don't make it like are not engaging. Like, I think we're going to find this in a fair amount of Bond films that it's just like a lot of jargon. Right. Like, the, you know, Spectre and there's the I can't even think of what the code machine is called in this. The Lector. Yeah, the, Lector. Yeah. yeah. And there's just a lot of like um gobbledygook it feels like um where you're just kind of supposed to be like oh yeah sure fine whatever and, and that's not a bad thing right like mission impossible which like is possibly my favorite franchise right now um in the action you know world the plots don't really make that much sense in those movies either but it doesn't really matter because you're so you know hooked by the spectacular set pieces and, and action stuff that's going on and you have you know tom cruise and this whole team of great characters um, you're not too worried about where the rabbit foot is yeah exactly or the knock list or any of this stuff um yeah. and i mean this movie just doesn't have that um i mean I, we may get to that later on again when with improved technology and stuff like that and you know the ability to shoot more spectacular action scenes and stage stuff um in a more yeah and, and we should fashion. say like this film's made on a two million dollar budget i mean yeah. i'm pretty sure no time to die it has like a 250 million dollar budget <laughs> coming out so yeah so i mean like you know there's there's some fun action sequences sure but there's not like anything spectacular and i don't know i i felt like the final showdown there's a couple final showdowns that happened and they were both just a little anticlimactic to me um it just felt like oh okay that was it 
we're ending and now they're in the boat and we're getting the closing credits, which are actually kind of funny because it's like the end, uh, except not because James Bond is coming back in Goldfinger. Um, in like six months. Which is, I was about to say, yeah, like a great example of just like calling your shot. I mean, Goldfinger was already made probably at this point. But anyway, I, I mean, I do like Sean Connery a lot as James Bond. I mean, we'll talk about this in, in just a second. But, you know, the, the, the debate that goes on about who is the best Bond. Um, and we're going to be watching, except we're not going to be watching the one George Lazenby film, but we are going to be watching um, selections from Connery, from Roger Moore, from Timothy Dalton, from Pierce Brosnan, and of course, from Daniel Craig. So we'll get a good sampling of everyone. Um, but, the, you know, the debate in, for, for the large majority of Bond fans is between Craig and Connery, right? Who, who, who do you prefer of these two guys? Uh, I think I've always been slightly more of a Connery fan. Um, but I'll be interested to see, you know, what this series, you know, confirms about how I feel. I mean, I think maybe some of my bias towards Connery just comes from appreciating him in other work outside of the James Bond uh, franchise, because I think he's, you know, a great actor, Academy Award winning actor. So, um, you know, that that may influence me as well. Um, but anyway, um, that's yeah, that's sort of my take. Not a super engaging film. Um, you know, there's some fun action in the back half. I think, you know, Connery is good, but like a lot of the supporting characters, again, you are, are either like not interesting, like, you know, the Bond girl in this movie, Tatiana, or or even Robert Shaw, right? I feel like it's just a waste of Robert Shaw, but, um, or yeah, like, again, it wasted, like I'm saying, I think Robert Shaw's Red is a good example. I think Rosa Klebb is a good example. They don't really know what to do with her. Um, but is she's kind of an interesting sort of progressive, even like female villain for this time period. Um, and they just, they don't know how to use her. So um, I think, you know, they're still figuring a lot of stuff out maybe with this James Bond film. And I think that that kind of shows, but um, let's move on now and talk about Sean Connery in a little more detail. Um, and we'll go, we'll go back to Jay for this. Um, Jay, uh, what did you think about uh, your first experience with Sean Connery as James Bond? Did you enjoy his portrayal of the character? Have you seen him in other stuff before? First of all, um, how many Bonds did you say we're sampling? Is it six, five? I, I lost count. Um, I think we're sampling five, yeah. Um, of the six? Is that what was that? Was that yeah, because there's, there's, there's Connery, there's Moore, there's Dalton, there's Brosnan, and there's Craig. Those are the ones we're going to watch. Wild. And there's also one film with George Lazenby, but we're not going to be watching. Sure. Um, good to know. Um, I'm not sure if I've seen him in anything. I, it's weird that I actually didn't look before we hopped on this call. Maybe I will when someone else is answering, just so I can tell you later. And yeah, I mean, I actually, I liked him. It, it's everything I kind of imagined he would be from like an old school Bond movie. Like he just kind of just has that like charisma and swagger that I kind of imagined. Um and, you know, in a movie where, like, you know, the, again, the sound's, like, not great, and I'm not really sure what's going on, you know, a lot of the time, like, the one thing I can be sure about is that, you know, this guy is, like, a badass agent, and, like, a lot of people want him dead, and I can kind of see why, and, you know, I, I can see why, you know, he, like, I, I just see the swagger, right, and, you know, he, he even makes, like, when everyone in this movie in that, uh, that one scene at the camp is, like, shooting from the hip, and it looks ridiculous, but even he makes it look, like, not the the worst um even though all in all like I, I think it's a pretty ridiculous way to shoot a gun um and you know as a as a fellow hairy man right like i gotta appreciate everything he does for, to make people like us look good um yeah i mean he you know he he's everything i imagined bond would be again like not having seen you know any bond at all but again like hearing you know he's got the charisma the swagger like the girls you know it it makes sense given that you know this is a, a, what, a 60s bond like I see it. Yeah, look, I, I think that he he ha I think the thing that I latch on to is the, is the swagger element, right? Like there's nothing that like incredible, right, that Sean Connery is doing with this character in terms of, you know, something like Tom Cruise would be doing in Mission Impossible or even some of the stuff that Daniel Craig has done in the in the physicality that he's kind of brought um to the Bond role as well. That's just not something that that you get in at least in this instance and uh, the same for Dr. No, too, from what I remember of that movie. It, but it's still like he's still iconic for a reason. And I think it's because he really brings that sort of like intangible X factor of 
swagger, like being cool, however you want to talk about it to the role. And part of that is making things look cool that some people might not be able to do being that sort of like, you know, stoic British kind of act like acting or, or stereotype that you might get around, you know, nothing particularly phasing, phasing him and being, you know, very suave with women and whatnot. Like a lot of that mystique, if you want to use that word and swagger just comes from him being like, you know, sort of like the ultra cool male, like not, I mean, yes, in like a douchey way that you think of when you associate with that word, um, which is, you know, one of the I think one of the tougher parts of the film to watch. And I think it's pretty like gratuitous in the first half of the movie in particular. But also what comes with that is like, oh, like being like, oh, I just wish I had that. Like, I wish I could have that level of coolness. Maybe not treat people the way that he that he treats people. But like, I wish I could have that level of coolness to like bring to the table. And so I think that, you know, when you think about that like i think it's hard not to think about someone like sean connery um with that because he does such an excellent job of bringing that sort of mentality and aura to the role and so i don't i wouldn't even say that i'm particularly impressed with the work of him in this film but what he's able to bring to the table just like i think just elevates elevates the work a little bit if that makes sense yeah i, I think we're gonna find with bond right that there's sort of two different approaches to playing this character there's you can do what daniel craig and Timothy Dalton do, which I think is more of a hard-nosed, darker like type character um, yeah. treatment on Bond, which I think is is you know kind of more faithful to the books, the Ian Fleming novels, from what I understand. Or you can do sort of the Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore example, which is a lot goofier um, and you know just kind of um, ha you know a, a lot more of like the cheesy quips and stuff like that. I think Connery is the best of both worlds in a way. I think you get um, sort of the the witty repartee um, and you also get, you know, again, some edge to the character, some, like you said, nothing phasing him, stoicism, stuff like that. But I think he plays it off really nicely. Like I said, I think the wit comes through in some moment. Like there's a few lines I like, like when, when the, the consulate embassy, whatever it is, gets wrecked and he like comes down and just sees the wreckage and he's like, who won? He says it to like his uh, his Turkish friend, uh, and then later when he's introduced to um, to Tatiana, and she's like, uh, "Oh, my friends call me Tanya," and he's like, "My friends call me James Bond." <laughs> I was like, I okay, "That was really funny." Line. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, um, that so so he's able to pull off those lines in a in a way that you know probably a lot of actors maybe couldn't. Um, and yeah, I could capture that sort of swagger. So I, I think that's what what you know works about Connery is that he's able to sort of synthesize these two sides of uh, you know these two approaches to how to play a James Bond character um, into into one. And it's interesting that you know we get that on the front end, and then I think we'll get some more of the like more extreme examples again. Like I said, with Roger Moore, I think being the most extreme example of sort of the goofier side, and Craig being more the more extreme example of like the darker Bond. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how we each gravitate towards, you know, those different approaches. But um, let's talk about another part of the Bond formula, right, which is the Bond girl. Um, a lot of times there are, in fact, multiple Bond girls in these films. Um, sometimes there's a villain who's a Bond girl. You know, there's almost always a love interest for James Bond. Um, who rarely ever carries over into the next movie, who is just kind of a disposable figure for the most part. But um, here we just have one. It's, uh, you know, if you don't want to count Rosa Klebb, who I don't, I don't think it really does necessarily follow in the tradition of Bond girls. But well, you have yeah, his Tatiana. girlfriend at the beginning. Yeah, that's true. Um, you have Tatiana Roman. What is it? She says, like, we haven't even eaten yet or something. And he's like, I got to go. Um, but yeah, um, you have Tatiana Romanova. Um, who is a double agent, right? Who, of course, is sent in by Spectre to sort of help um, set a trap for Bond, but of course, is just for reasons that are really unbeknownst to uh, our uh, the viewing audience, just falls head over heels for James Bond in a matter of hours, it seems, and you know, it ends up sort of with him in the end, but. Um, you know, I, I'm sure this is going to be a talking point throughout the series. Like, uh, we're probably going to sound like broken records at some point um, with the portrayal of female characters. I mean, it's just kind of one of those 
parts of the bond formula that I think just takes some getting used to. Um, Scott, I'll go to you first this time. You know, what, what did you think about um, the character of, of Tatiana? Did you find her to be well-rounded? Or like I said, is this just sort of a disposable, um, you know, part of this formula that didn't add a whole lot other than some eye candy, perhaps? Yeah, to, to avoid making any sexist jokes, I'll just say, I don't think she was well-rounded, no. It really did not work. Uh, that, I mean, that character is what it is, right? Like, but having some exposure to Bond in the past, knowing, especially, I mean, coming from Doctor No, I mean, I mean, Doctor No is just as guilty of this as well. Just like completely disposable, sort of like female. I don't even know, like, is if foil is even the right word? But yeah, not not only is the whole character and performance a bit of a shrug uh, at, at best. I just think that sort of like the the arc that you described, like li- literally couldn't tell, like wasn't not I guess I should say I couldn't tell, wasn't sure at the end whether she was like joking around or not. When she's like, I'm in love with you or whatever. I'm just like, I don't even know if she's being serious or not. And I don't think it's because it's good acting. <laughs> I just, I genuinely don't know because um, it seems absolutely absurd, but it seems genuine. I don't know. So yeah, look, it, it doesn't. I just like really don't feel like I have much to say. I think with from russia with love there's like something interesting there right like she's this double agent who like knows she is a double agent but like doesn't know who she's working for because she doesn't realize that she's working for specter so it it feels like there's actually like some potential there of like sort of uh getting caught in the in the middle between specter and and bond and i think they do a little bit with that like i I don't want to say they completely waste that premise for her character but i think that by the end it it just feels like you know like it isn't clear to me why she like why she realized that rosa kleb you know wasn't still still like working for the russian government like there's nothing nothing that's happened that that i think would make her think that she doesn't work for the russian government and yet she seems to have figured it out or she's just betraying her russian government for for bond and so it gets a little bit messy um to say the least at the end if it wasn't already and overall, I think that they could have done more to make that premise even more interesting. And I think that's definitely something that they should have done more with to make that character interesting. If, you know, at the end of the day, she still is going to be, you know, a Bond girl, you know, trope, stereotype, whatnot. Like they had something there they could have done more with. They didn't completely waste it, but they didn't sort of transcend the stereotype of her being a Bond girl either. Yeah, I mean, the seduction thing, like at first, right, it it makes sense. You know, she's in his bed, whatever, when they meet for the first time, because she's trying to like lure him in, right? That's like what she's yeah. been asked. She's like do. naked in his bed when they first meet him. Like, well, but, yeah, but then like the the actual emotional feelings that seem to come out of, you know, this br- very brief time spent together um, is, yeah, it, 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 it does seem to come out of nowhere. I found some of the stuff like, again, you're talking about like boring. Some of the stuff were like they're early on in that Orient Express. She's like doing a fashion show basically with like different uh, outfits and stuff. I was like, what are we doing? Like, let's just get, let's just get on with it. Um, She's just so in love and swept off her feet and so happy to be with him. Didn't care for the character. Um, And and I I mean, look, I think we're going to, you know, find some Bond girls that are, are more, well-rounded so i don't mean to sound like a defeatist attitude like look we're this is we're in for the long haul with like these types of characters um but um yeah i think this is this is an early example again of them you know and this is again probably a product of the era that you know of of not really being able to to turn this character into anything more than you know just some enticing eye candy or whatever for james bond um and I mean, you know, she's not, she doesn't come back in the next movie. So um, it's like, I mean, there's not a whole lot of incentive, I guess, to to like try to make some sort of character um, when, you know, it's just going to be, she's going to be tossed away after this movie, just like a lot of other Bond girls are. But Jay, your thoughts on Tatiana? No, I, I think you covered it all right down to my last point about it being probably a product of the era. Um, to be gentle with it and to not add too much more. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't she wasn't well rounded, and I kind of get now why. Like again, not not knowing too much about the franchise, even from like hearsay, but you know, hearing that like Bond girls are a thing, and like it, it made sense 
that like, you know, th- th- this is what we're going to get from it. There definitely was potential, uh, like Scott pointed out with, you know, she's a double agent, but doesn't actually realize what she's working for. Like in modern day, you know, maybe could have been made into like just a movie where this character ends up being more interesting. I also found her turn at the end to be quite confusing and wasn't sure whether it was genuine or not. And don't think it was because of the acting either. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to add, except, you know, I, I put this in my letterbox review. I, you know, I said I was looking forward to all the riveting conversations we were going to have about, you know, strong female women in this franchise. And I get the sense that all of our conversations, almost all are going to be like this. So we can, we can stop that portion here. And and look, yeah, like it it is what it is. Again, like, and that's just it, right? Like it is what it is. Sorry, I I don't mean to, but again, like I'm going to understand that a lot of this, you know, is just like a product of the time. And like, I don't think that would have flown back then do i think you know i don't even know how many minutes of it was like the belly dancing we saw at one point you know was just the close-ups of like her midriff were like i do i excuse that as a product of the time like uh, i guess but more like begrudgingly so um you know with with the bong girl like again i i feel like it was just kind of like a case of it is what it is and it probably sold back then and to some extent it probably would now but yeah the, the character you know just not exciting at all yeah, it's one of those things like I, I, I am not a person who is like, oh, let's apply the moral standards of today, right, to every single piece of art from, you know, up to 100 years ago or whatever. Like we we know it's it's problematic. We all three of us are agreed on that. Most people who watch the movie nowadays would agree on how problematic it is. But I don't think we need to go on some sort of pedestal or diatribe about how. James Bond should be canceled as a franchise in general or, or something because of how, you know, problematic that these uh, films, you know, treatment of, of women are. I, I, again, that it, we know it's wrong, but at the time uh, that this movie was released, there were a lot less people telling them it was wrong. Um, and so I, I think we have to take into account that sort of influence on why, why the film is the way that it is. Because obviously, if, you know, they tried to do some of this stuff today, there would be a lot more voices with social media and all that um, speaking out and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is this is not right. Although, again, I, I don't know how much better the portrayal has gotten in the recent films. It has gotten better to some extent, but uh, that will probably be an interesting conversation to have when we get to the Craig films, because we will be talking about all of the Craig movies. Um, well, one of the, I it, think one of the interesting things there, though, is that to, to take the sort of like gender lens on it is that Rosa Klebb, who when she's interviewing um, when she's interviewing Tatiana at the beginning of the film and like, you know, convincing her obviously that she still works for the, uh, for Smesh, I think is the Soviet, you know, organization, you know, counterintelligence agency in Ian Fleming's world instead of the KGB or, or whatnot. Um, and I, I think the interesting thing there is, you know, not only, I think there's like whatever, like, right, there's the conversation around who around the treatment of women and whatnot at the surface. Right. And I think a more interesting conversation, although, of, co- of course, the film doesn't end, end up going in this direction. But like notice the like how Rosa Klebb like talks to her and treats her and what the expectations of this character are. And I think that like that's at least something that's interesting. The film, again, doesn't do anything with that. But that's something like a, a nugget that I think is interesting that I mean, I don't know. I, I can't I don't think you can see that conversation and think, oh, yeah, like right on point this is this is exactly how you know women should be expected to act or you know be put forth into society and whatnot yeah it's like that seduction school stuff almost out of uh, red sparrow it's that's exactly um, i mean that's exactly what this yeah. is right like like that that movie is in is cold war and soviet union it's exactly what this is yeah um but okay let's move on and talk about you know another element of the bond formula which are the colorful villains right that we'll, we'll get to see you know a few of them there are a lot of you know sort of the one named goldfinger odd job people like that um you know scaramanga um who Red. we'll talk about some of them we won't talk about um, some of the others but um but yeah here we have red grant right who is this irish assassin played by you know robert shaw iconic actor um, in one of his early roles, um, but, you know, would go on to do Jaws and Man for All Seasons and Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, all kinds of great movies, um, the Sting. Uh, but, you know, here, like I said, early role um, for him uh, as this sort of stock character almost of like the, you know, specially bred, specially trained, like perfect physical specimen, right, who this is the person that we have prepared for the specific purpose of, 
um, you know, taking out James Bond. Um, Jay, what did you think about um, about Red Grant um, and how he provided a foil for Bond here? I mean, he was okay. Um, you you do you just refer to him as like a stock villain, right, or a stock character, and like I I'm not sure like how much I'm gonna retain, you know, of him like nine Bond movies later, but. He was fine. You know, I definitely thought, you know, going the route of, again, like a perfect physical specimen to like, you know, counter this like, you know, swagger, like not exact, like it's not a, you know, Sean Connery like wasn't, he just, he wasn't ripped like that. Right. Um, I did think it was like hilarious that like the way that uh, Cleb decided he was the one was just by punching him in the stomach twice and then going, yep, he'll do. I'm like, With really? Yeah, that's, that's, so funny. that's all it takes. Um with yeah, the with flinch. the brass knuckles on, yeah, yeah, sure, the, but still, I mean, I yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Look, I guarantee you, Sean Connery couldn't take that like a man. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, in you know, in in the scenes we got of him, you know, I I thought he was like good enough. You know, he has that one line that you know you might know all the right wines, but you're all like you're the one on your or was it? I'm not the one who knows the right wines, but you're the one on your knees. I guess I already forgot the lines. Maybe it wasn't that good, but I thought that scene, you know, itself was engaging enough, and that you know he was. A, like a, a sufficient villain is fine. I, again, like I, I get the impression. Again, this is all just from like hearsay about the Bond movies. Is that like a my main takeaway from these movies is just going to be Bond. Like maybe there will be a villain down the road that's like you know I like you know will remember. But I didn't get that impression coming into it, and I haven't changed my thought on what that'll be like after watching this. That's interesting. It almost makes you wish like. Like, because, you know, there's the stuff where Shaw is, like, pretending to be a British guy or, like, a contact for Bond. It almost makes you wish that they would have made him, like, some sort of partner for Bond. Like, we're going to see some other double O agents perhaps pop up in other films. Like, I feel like they, it would have been fun to see them as sort of like a buddy-like relationship more so than what we got um, with, you know, hero versus villain. Because I think when they're, like purportedly on the same side again than those few moments aboard the train um they have you know some some kind of fun little back and forth um and i yeah i just i did i don't know if this was the best use of shaw here but scott what about you what do you think yeah it's one of those things where, where jay thinks like it's a serviceable villain like honestly i don't know if that's true i think when you come to a bond movie or like or just even abstract from that like if you if you when you come to a spy movie that is of this particular ilk like the, I, I like you just want something more colorful. I think Scott put like usually you get a lot of colorful villains in Bond, and I, and I think that's like that's kind of what you want. Like I, I don't know, not to not to bring a previous countdown series into this one, but like I, you kind of want the villain from Tenet. You want you want that kind of character, right? Like you want Kenneth Branagh it, it, it doing some sort of like scenery chewing type role because yeah, Jay, sure, like you don't get that many conversations about like iconic Bond villains. I would argue that's not because there aren't iconic Bond villains. It's just that there are so many of them, right? Like there isn't like one or two that dominate the conversation. You know, we'll, we'll talk more about more memorable again, put that in quotation mark villains, hopefully going forward when we talk about other movies. But I just think that this one is just like, I mean, I don't know. I think you'd be forgiven for even for like forgetting like, you know, a couple of movies from now, if there even was a villain in this movie, right? Yeah. There's this like assassin, like, like you, you don't want someone too similar to bond being the person who is the villain in a bond movie right like maybe there's something interesting you could do with like hunting down like like two people who are like the same like hunting down hunting each other down and seeing how like that tete-a-tete kind of goes but like that's not what this movie is right like he's just someone who's like not quite a facsimile but is quite similar to like what bond what bond is bringing in terms of like physicality etc rather than just being like outlandish and and what and whatever right like i, I just think that it, it's it's a direction they sort of like trialed, I think, with the with the like the first two at least. Like I think that was also the, it was pretty much the case in Doctor No as well, right? Like having you know not an not not as eccentric of villains as you might see later on in the franchise, and I just think that's a mistake in terms of like ratcheting things up to a to a level where or like self awareness of like knowing what your movies are, right? And I, I think that that changes. I mean, I I expect that that will change over the course of the countdown, and I think once we get to Craig. Like, sure, not everyone is like a wild eccentric person, but they have personality traits and 
and you know ticks that make them unique and I think make them memorable in their own right. The problem is there's 24 of them, so like there's just so many of them that they there's no one or two that dominate the conversation. I was gonna say maybe that I mean maybe that's just my ignorance showing then right, but I guess like just to bring another old countdown into this, like when I think about Star Wars, right, which like I'd never seen a movie of, like I could name you know like 15 characters, including like a handful of villains, like. And I can tell you like small things about them that I feel like I've just picked up, but I but, pretty but sure that's like I can 10 only... movies. That's 10 movies with a con- with continuity of characters between them. I guess. But like, I mean, again, just to make the comparison, uh, like I, I can only name one bond villain and I can't tell you even anything about them. Um, which one, yeah, which one can you it's, name? It's, Gold, it's Goldfinger, like, and I'm not even sure that's yeah. actually the name of the character, but like, I think that it is. is. Yeah. Okay. It there is. you go. It, it'll so, be interesting to see how you feel after next week, right? We are going to be watching Goldfinger for the next episode because you get Goldfinger and Oddjob, who I think is also a, a colorful villain who is sort of the, the sidekick henchman of, of Auric Goldfinger. Um, yeah. Also, the his, truth his is, Bond is like not in the zeitgeist like Star Wars is. Like, it's just like not in the sure, world. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I know it's not the same. Yeah, N- nothing again, is really I mean, in the zeitgeist at, like Star Wars is, if we're being quite honest. But um, the MCU is there now. But it's gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say if it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's close. Movie, yeah. Okay, so I've been talking sort of about the Bond formula a little bit, uh, and I want to, you know, maybe get into that a, a tad more. You know, we, we've talked about sort of the colorful villain being a part, the Bond girl. Um, but, you know, I chose this movie. I, I sort of curated the movies that we're going to be watching just based on what I thought would be the best experience for all of us. I kind of chose this one rather than watching Dr. No, right, because this is the one which is known for kicking off a lot of the formula that we will see and so it's not just those parts we've talked about already but like the opening action scene like here we get here it's not quite what we're going to be used to seeing um because we're like i said we we lead off with that sort of training exercise um with with red grant um but normally it's going to be some sort of big set piece involving bond and some sort of side story right that doesn't usually won't have anything to do with the main plot um but it's, it'll just be like a fun, action-packed, ten-minute way to open the movie and um, you know get us hooked in. Um, and usually involves you know some stunts and stuff. Um, then you get you know this the stuff at MI6, right? We have the you know establishing here of sort of the the main crew at MI6 with you know Miss Moneypenny, Lois Maxwell here who plays Miss Moneypenny in a lot of movies. Um, M, um, who you know is sort of Bond's boss in um, a lot of the, you know, movies will later be played by Judy Dench, of course. Um, and Q, right? Desmond Llewellyn, most famous, you know, most famous person to play Q um, here is playing him for the very first time. And we'll see him for a lot of films. Um, again, I say a lot of films, but we're only watching 10. So, but if you, you know, we're watching them in order, Desmond Llewellyn, of course, plays um, Q in about 10 to 15 films. But, um, but yeah, you know, the gadgets, all of that, um, it, you know, we, we get all of that in the film as well. Uh, and then, you know, sort of the ending of like Bond and the Bond girl, you know, riding off into the sunset, um, you know, and, and that's that's how the movie ends. Um, I, you know, what do you guys think uh, about the formula? Do you have I mean, do you have any thoughts whatsoever about the idea of like just sort of having these tropes in every single one of your movies where. Um, you show up, you kind of know what you're going to get uh, in a lot of respects. And it's just sort of about how can they reinvent the wheel each time? Um, you know, are you interested to see how, um, you know, the different, these different, again, pieces of the formula that I've talked about play out in different films? Or are you kind of just like, ah, fine, whatever. It's a little rote. I mean, I'm, I'm still intrigued. I mean, you know, we haven't, or I'll just speak for myself, like I haven't spoken too highly um, of, you know, certain aspects of this movie, but I think, you know, with an increased budget, some increased technology and just like, you know, the progression of, I don't know, like, I don't want to make this sound like some moral, but like basically the way like society progresses, right. And how hopefully maybe you just see more engaging characters across some fronts. Like I do think, you know, there's the potential like for success. I'm excited to see Craig, um, and see, you know, his, uh, not only his take on Bond, but essentially like how the other characters and some of the 
storylines and maybe the world building plays out because again, just like rehash something I said earlier, like I still don't totally know what's going on. You just like, you know, rifled off a lot of characters there. And I'm, if you like, if you put them all like, you know, people in a lineup and said, all right, like point out M I like, I don't think I could do it right now. Um, but you know, give me, give me a few movies, you know, maybe just give me to the, the Craig uh, series. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think there's potential. I, and I think, you know, again, just to go back to the time for a sec, like I think it was a recipe for success then. And I imagine, you know, to a large extent, it still is now. So I don't, you know, really see an issue with that. Yeah, Scott, how about yet. you? I'll say yet. Go on. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Look, I think that it's it's important to I think zoom out sometimes and think about like the grand the grander picture of like entertainment and the reality is like procedurals work for a reason. Like they give you a formula and like the audience trusts that formula. They're used to it, they're familiar with it and then it's about delivering within like the confines of that formula. And so I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the formula. In fact, for a lot of maybe different reasons, and maybe even speaking to the point that you were making way back at the beginning, Scott, like the formula like works, right? Like it, it gets you interested in the first 10, 15 minutes to have a big set piece, even if it's not related to the plot to the rest of the movie. Sometimes they, sometimes those, you know, initial scenes are, sometimes they're not. Um, in this case, it's like tangentially related, I suppose. Uh, and then it's, of course it has to, it can't just drop you right into the middle of the plot then. So it builds up towards the plot. It, you know, ties in things there, uh, gives you a sense of like, it grounds you in what's going on. Like, again, I think the formula on paper should work, right? Like, and I think history will tell you that it has worked. I mean, they've made 20, they're about to make the 25th bond film, um, for, for a reason. So I think that it, it, the, the nature of the formula, I think makes sense. And, and I think it's the op, like, it's, it's sort of like the operation within the formula, where it varies. And and I think that's the, I mean, maybe I think that was the point that you were making Scott around like being able to execute that formula. Well, because I mean, look on paper, it's a fun way to start to give you, to give yourself a starting point in the film and then just building from there into an actually coherent story. Um, that, that again, has to maintain that level of interest and engagement. You don't get like a free pass just because you had something interesting in the first five minutes, but it, yeah, being able to deliver on that is, is another thing. And, and, and sort of, I don't know, not reinventing the wheel, but like tweaking the wheel a little bit each time you do it. Like you have to do that. You can't just like completely, you know, turn out garbage. That's the exact same every single time. Like you have to do, you do have to tinker. Like the best Bond films I bet are going to be the ones that tinker a little bit with that formula and, and do something interesting with it or uh, whether it's with the formula itself or whether it's, you know, with the way the formula sort of translates onto, onto the screen. So I think that the formula works well. I think that there's, you know, it, it is compelling when you put it on paper. I think it really is. And then it's a matter of, you know, what films are we going to watch that executed the best? Yeah, no, I mean, I like the idea of like the opening action sequence, right? The big set piece, I think. Because again, when I think about like Mission Impossible, the things yeah. that I remember the most are, I'm like, I there are seven, eight set pieces or whatever in those movies that I can refer to just by name, right? You can say the CIA heist, you can say the the, uh, the opera house, you know, scene from- Surprised you said that one second, Scott. Disappointed in you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great one. You could say the Burj Khalifa, right? From the helicopter. But, um, but yeah, exactly. There's there's so many. And um, so I like the idea of like trying to stay. I mean, you know, there, Bond Bond will have them, right? Like I, you know, one of my favorites that we're going to watch, The Spy Who Loved Me with Roger Moore, has this great skiing sequence where Bond skis off a cliff basically with a Union Jack parachute at the end. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, Spectre, Spectre has a great scene in Mexico City, I believe it is. Yep. Um, this chase scene, long chase scene that goes on um, that is really well done. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to see some of those. I, I like that being a way to open your film. Um, and Casino Royale has a great one, too. Yeah, because, because you know, we've all kind of been saying that the start of this movie, it, it was slow to start. Right. So I think I think these spy movies have to have that sort of middle section, which is a little more plot heavy. Um, and so I think it makes sense to like. Let's give you the thrills up front, right? So then we can cool you down a little bit for this, you know, plot stuff. You know, the again, he goes to MI6, sending him out to wherever he's going, establishing some of the plot, introducing the Bond girl, um, all of that type of stuff. Um, and then, you know, again, dialing it back up again at the end with the action. But, um, you know, it, it will be interesting to see watching, you know, a lot of these in close or proximity to each other does the formula start to have diminishing returns as you start to, you know, see, know what's coming 
Um, you know, are, are, will there be elements of it that just feel tired? Like, oh, here he is. He's flirting with money pity once again. Like, um, I'm, I'm over it. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, may, maybe not, since, again, we're only watching select cuts from the entire series. A little bit less than half. Yeah. Um, talking about the action sequences, you know, I, I, I talked about them a little bit there. Um, you know, you've alluded to some of the editing stuff, Scott, that maybe wasn't the greatest. Uh, I, I did kind of feel that way in some of the action sequences. Like the the whole scene of the gypsy camp, like there's just some weird like moments with the editing. Like the when the guy throws the knife, right? Like he throws it in such a weird fashion. Of course, we only see him throwing the knife. He picks it up and it's like, and like it's you know from thirty feet away, it just like buries itself in the target. Or like the next shot we see is it like just you know burying itself in the target. And then like you know some of the shooting, right? Again, we'll see Bond like close up going like pew pew. And then like all we see is a shot of people like oh like you know dying or whatever. Like it's not like you don't get the fluid shot. Like he could be shooting anywhere, right? Uh, I don't know. And it's just those kinds of things that like um, are it makes it a little like silly and confusing when I, I don't think it should be but I, i'm wondering you know action sequences what stood out to you guys the gypsy camp is one um that we've alluded to um you know there's some fights on the orient express there's a final battle with rosa Clef. there's some stuff with a helicopter here right um but I, i'm wondering what you guys uh what stood out to you of the action scenes jay i mean it, it's gotta be for me the fight scene on the train um i just feel like again i fully acknowledging I haven't seen that many movies from, you know, this time period. Like I definitely just felt like that one was shot the best. Um, I didn't find it nearly as distracting as like say the gypsy camp scene, the helicopter scene. I, I found so there were just too many shots of a helicopter, like oh my God. flying off into the distance. Totally but, like, it was just like, this is, <laughs> this is just too much. And it's not very exciting. Um, also how, how technologically advanced dropping grenades from a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. And yeah, I mean, you, you you already mentioned this, Scott, earlier, but the last two, the kind of final two big fights, the boat and then the in the hotel room, you know, not terribly excited. They're just like, okay, this is happening, and okay, they're over. Oh, um, I like the boat yeah. scene. The boat scene was fun, but it's Scott um, Harvey who said, he, he I know. Found, yeah, yeah, I'm just disagreeing. The the boat is yeah, the boat is fine. Again, like I said, it just feels a little anticlimactic, like the way that Red Grant goes out, the way that Rosa goes out. Like because I feel like the Rosa that they set up, right? Like they set her up as like this really sort of cold, calculating like character. And then like all exactly when she shows up at the end of the movie, like first there's the scene where he kills the chess guy, chess prodigy, right? Like uh, where uh, what's his face? Yeah, um, the head soviet the head of specter guy or whatever like kills the and she's just like blofeld i don't know is that supposed to be it's, blofeld? It's not blofeld, no. she's That's like not, sweating okay. and getting all nervous and everything yeah. in that scene all of a sudden she's just like freaking out like yeah. which it's again, like she's never seen someone get killed before like right and then and then you know again when they fight her when bond and tatiana like catch up to her I mean, it's not even really a battle, right? Like she, she it, it, the the actual fight itself lasts very quickly, and um, you know, she just gets shot, and that's the end of it. I'm and I'm just left with like, well, that was, that really feels like a waste. Um, she brought a knife to a gunfight, Scott. What can you say? Well, Sean Connery knows something about that, but um, Scott, any thoughts yeah. on the action scenes? Is that from the Last Crusade? I think that's from later Raiders, actually. But um, oh, knife from a gunfight. Yeah, isn't that isn't that in no, like that's the bizarre? that's the Untouchables? Oh right, I was thinking of the of the scene from from Raiders of the Lost Ark where he shoots the guy in like the bazaar, who's like willing to sit like a scepter. Mm. Or I don't know. Oh right, where he shoots the sword twirling guy. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, that's a line that Connery actually has in the Untouchables. Ah well, there's there's your education yeah. right there for yeah. Sean Connery films. Um, anyway, so action scenes. I yeah, I think that. The opening one, if you call it an action scene, sort of like I guess it's more of a stealth scene than anything. I enjoyed that. I thought that was that was really good. Uh, for for me though, after that, like nothing really grabbed me until until the train, right? Like Sky, you said the, it felt like a little underwhelming. I didn't really feel like that fight scene was a little underwhelming in terms of how Red Grant goes out. I was underwhelmed by the the impact of that character overall, but not necessarily with, with how the fight scene sort of culminated and concluded and wrapped up. I liked the the fight scene on the, the between the boats 
um, talk about big explosions. I guess that was the movie's one, you know, big explosion. If you don't count the Soviet embassy or whatever in Istanbul. And yeah. And then the sort of showdown in the hotel room, it is a bit strange. I think you can kind of understand that, you know, she's really afraid like Rosa club that is, is really afraid of being killed by I'm like 99% sure it's Blofeld, but uh, whoever the head of specter is. Um, yeah, it, it might be. Yeah, it, he's not. Na- he's definitely not named in, in the movie. I'm pretty sure he's even credited as like question mark in, mm-hmm. in the credits, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, like he, she's clearly very afraid of, of being killed uh, by the, you know, by the head of Spectre. And so she sort of becomes very erratic. It, it's a very quick evolution. So it's not super believable. And the scene is like, like probably should be more interesting than it is. Uh, I yeah, I'm not really sure what to say there, but. The helicopter scene, my God, the thing should have been like, uh, it probably wasn't even that long, but it should have been like half as long as it was. Uh, way, way too many flyover shots. I 1,000% agree with Jay there. But yeah, for me, it's the train fight scene and uh, and sort of the boat getaway escape where they roll the oil drums off and shoot the oil drums. So that was fun. Yeah, I mean, look, there's always some satisfaction of like seeing the gadgets pay off, right? Because these gadgets yeah. are always like a yeah. Chekhov's gun, where it's like, oh, well, they wouldn't be telling us about what, you know, what this was, like what this gadget does, unless it's going to come into play somewhere later in the movie. Yeah. And then, you know, the suitcase thing, I think, is the best example here uh, <clears throat> on the train. But um, but yeah, so so there's, there's some satisfaction to be taken from that, uh, certainly. Uh, sort of the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up is the plot, right? Uh, because it is rather unwieldy. Um, this this might become a recurring segment of can we decipher the plot of the movie? Um, so I guess my question is, you know, did you guys have trouble following the plot? Or maybe I'm just a, a dummy. Um, that's that's certainly a possibility. But did you guys have trouble following the plot? And if so, does that matter in these types of movies? Um, because you know, I think you could make a case that it doesn't. But Scott, let's start with you. Yeah, so I think I probably got like half of the plot here. I think that's probably safe to say. I think like the whole thing with the lector, like I could totally follow all of that. No clue what's going on with like the Bulgarian assassin that we talked about a little bit earlier who comes to the gypsy camp and is like trying to kill uh, Ali Karimbe, who is like the, I guess he's like the British sort of like spy on the ground or consulate. Um, in Istanbul, absolutely no idea what's going on with the plot with like Karen Bay and, and all the and like all the people in Istanbul, like just no idea what's going on um, from that perspective. But here's the thing, guys, like I just like, again, this kind of movie, like it doesn't matter. Like, like none of that, like that's not what you watch the James Bond movies for, which is not to give it a pass. Like, I don't mean to give it a pass by saying that, but it's like, I'm not going to sit on here and be like, man, that plot so dense, uh, really real bummer that we didn't get like this, like really well, you know, yeah, executed you know, nuanced plot, which I think some of some of the ones like probably will be better than this one. But I don't know, like, I'm just like not bothered that much by this dense plot. And I think that the stuff that like matters at the end of the day, I followed like the stuff with the lector, the stuff that was like directly relevant to I think, like actually pushing the plot, like the big plot forward, like sort of the the, sort of the macro level plot. That stuff made sense to me. I followed that but like, who was like what assassin or following who for what reason like she throw it away because <laughs> absolutely made no sense whatsoever jay do you concur i'm in a very similar camp and that, yeah like i i kind of figured out what the lector was maybe like halfway through again no sense of what's going on with the bulgarians and why there's this assassin and again even even just to reference the beginning and i'm not even entirely sure why this organization hates james bond oh because um, he killed dr now but that, that so that's the that's the bit from the sure from the, and that, like, that is the one thing yeah that it would have helped to watch the first movie Sure, and that's fine. Because um, if you but, don't know that, you only get like a, a very quick snippet in a conversation with like all the Spectre people where Blofeld says he killed Dr. No. But right. like that's like and two seconds, like a two sure. second throwaway. No, and I, I vaguely yeah. recall it, but I also remember not really being able to understand it. Yeah. Um, and so I had to pause the movie and explain it to, to Karen. Yeah, what, there's, what, there's, what everything was. I, I will say though, like, you know, like you said, I don't think it really is necessary. I, to me, though, I, I think we've I think we talked about this just to keep referencing the old countdowns and the Nolan countdown that like, you know, audiences kind of like to feel smart. And I don't mind being put in like a puzzling situation. 
like you know some of those Nolan movies put you in but like it it's another thing when I just like I feel like I don't understand what's going on but it's not intentional you know what I mean like I'm not being misled yeah. it's just I like again the audio is bad and you know words are being jumbled and I don't again I, I just don't really know like what's going on with again like the Bulgarians and you know Bond's the whole their issue with Bond in the beginning like all of it you know so it it's the kind of thing it's like I get that it's not I I'll, I'll agree that it's not necessary in movies like these but I definitely felt very very dumb for the first like half of the movie until I finally decided you know what like I'm just not going to completely get this it looks like some action scenes are starting let's just try to enjoy them well yeah that's the thing like I don't think it matters to have a sensical plot necessarily in, in a movie like this, but show me some cool stuff, right. To distract me from the fact that I don't understand exactly why anyone is doing a certain thing. Like again, mission impossible. It's like, yeah, the things don't make sense, but before you can actually stop and spend five or 10 minutes thinking about it, Tom Cruise is like, all right, we're going to dive into the underwater thing and we're going to get the thing out of the other thing. And, you know, and you're like, hell yeah, like, let's go. Um, and, that there just wasn't enough of that in this movie, right? There were there were too many lulls um, for you to stop and be like, "Well, I'm not super engaged by any of the characters, really, other than Bond. Plus, I don't really understand what's going on or why they're doing a lot of the things that they're doing, um, which is not usually a great recipe for adding adding up to a satisfying movie. But I mean, yeah, that's that's what there is to say, I think. Um, Okay, well, let's uh, let's move into wrap up now on From Russia with Love. Um, favorite scene or moment from this movie, Jay? I think I got to go with the fight scene on the train. Um, I think I think it's just going to be the thing I, you know, most clearly take away from this movie. I thought again, like I said, I thought it was shot well. It's interesting enough, and yeah, that favorite scene. Scott, I'm going to be boring and say and say the same. I really do think it is like it's the iconic scene from this movie for me, right? Like it's the scene that I think of when I think about this movie, um, whether I've seen it before or not altogether, I'm not sure, but it is what it is what I remember to the movie from the parts that I had seen at the very least. And it's what I'm going to remember probably at the end of the countdown too. So it's a train sequence. I mean, look, even though there's some questionable parts in the gypsy camp scene, I do like a lot, like the, like it feels like a like epic war like fight scene at certain parts like they all look like come rushing into the yeah. camp and they just um, need a bigger budget like i i, I don't know I, I don't mean to yeah. again like maybe that's like lazy a lazy critique but they just need they just need more money to be spent on those scenes right yeah no so i i like the idea there and i'll, I'll point to that for the sake of being a little bit different um i i like the idea there of that sort of fight scene is something a little different um probably could have been executed better but under you know with the limitations of the time I, I guess i get some i don't know that i excuse like some of the editing right because i think yeah you know you can there's some really really well edited movies from this era and even further back right like we don't need to go back to our mank episode but citizen kane um jeff's kiss um but you all would know that of course but <laughs> no like i said we don't need to relitigate that uh instead let's put a score on from russia with love jay I'm going to say this one time and then I'm not going to reference it ever again. The, the, the score has been recalibrated, you know, go read my letterbox. I've watched some really bad movies this year. I, so think things need to change. That being said, this is going to land within the usual spectrum for me, but it's going to fall in at 6.2. Uh, Scott, uh, what do you give this movie? Uh, 6.4, not too different from Jay. Uh, I'm a little bit lower, actually. I'm in a 5.8 on this one. Uh, you know, there's it, it has its moments, uh, but they're far too fleeting, and I think we will see much better, uh, yeah. even just within our countdown. So um, I look forward to those movies. Uh, but let's, uh, let's look ahead to those movies. Let's put From Russia With Love behind us, because that'll do it for this episode of the 007 Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. Um, don't forget to check out the Some Like a Scott podcast feed um, where you can not only find our countdown series and our past countdown series, um, but also Champs Lunch and our main podcast, Some Like It Scott. Um, and don't forget to, you know, like, rate, review, subscribe, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app uh, for Some Like It Scott. And we hope you'll be back on our next episode of the 007 Countdown, on which we'll be moving on to the next film in the series. 1964's Goldfinger. But until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, 
We'll see you next time.